1 Corinthians 15, hopefully your, your appetite has already been kind of, uh, you've, you've got the um, appetizer that's got you ready for the meal. You know, we've kind of already been in this section. You know what's coming. I hope so much you're encouraged by today that the scripture strengthens your faith. That is the goal. Title, Hold Fast. You're going to see in the next month and a half this series called Resurrection Matters. Everywhere you look. Everybody know? Little double entendre there. Resurrection matters. We're going to talk about the matters of the resurrection, but we're also going to make the big point that the resurrection matters. That was lame, I know. Sorry. Made me think of a kid watching one of my favorite shows. The resurrection does matter. And um, we're going to see that this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And here's what we're going to look at. I'm going to give you four questions. Four questions that we're going to answer from this text with the goal of strengthening our faith, bolstering it, reminding ourselves of the confidence we have that we belong to God, that our sins have been forgiven, and that we will and are being saved. But we must answer those questions in order to experience that. Let me actually go ahead and give you the questions we're going to answer. Here they are, so you know where we're headed. Why must we constantly be reminded of the gospel? Sounds like a good question to answer. Question two, how can I ensure my faith won't be in vain? Question number three, what makes the gospel worth holding fast to? And then the final question is this, what if there is no resurrection? So here's the path we're going. Here's the questions I want us to answer with the goal of you walking away here today confident that your faith is not in vain and holding fast to what you have received that was preached to you sometime in your life that you believed. So let's answer this first question. Why must we constantly be reminded of the gospel? That's what we just did, right? We just, by way of remembrance, based off what Jesus said, reminded ourselves of the gospel. Look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul himself said, now I would remind you, brothers, the Corinthians, I'm going to remind you of something of the gospel, the good news, the message that was brought to you that's supposed to be amazingly good and exciting. And he says this gospel came to them because he preached to them. He said, I preached to you. So someone spoke, words were gone out and they started going into the ears of these Corinthians. And look what he says next, you received, which you received currently now in the present day as he's writing this, in which you stand. And then he says this in verse two, and by which you are being saved. And then he says this, if, right? That's where our attention should kind of place right there. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain, What makes, why must we constantly be reminded of the complete gospel? The answer is this, because of the constant potential of believing in vain, because of the constant potential of believing in vain that faces every single one of us every single day. We've been in 1 Corinthians, you you, you guys know the setting 
Paul was worried about them. They were not spiritual people. They were acting like people of the flesh. And he was worried that possibly their faith was in vain. And he's going to explain more, a little bit more of why, what would lead to that vanity, that vain faith. But he was worried that their trajectory was one of, man, you're not, you're not showing that maybe you have genuinely believed. Life is fooled with the flesh and worldliness. Walk back through verse one and two with me. I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Salvation involves this, receiving the message. Think about your own life. When did you first receive the message? Even if it was early on in life, even if you've believed this since a kid, you still know that there was a time in your life where the gospel was preached, you heard it, and you believed. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. So think about that time in your life. Now, it doesn't end there. Salvation then is, is hearing and believing. But look what he says next. Which you received in which you stand. At the current moment, as Paul was teaching and preaching to them, years had gone by, still a confirmation that what was presently active in their life was that they were still standing in. I'm, I'm standing in a pool and the pool isn't not the gospel, it is the gospel. That's what I'm standing on. That's my foundation. They are currently still standing on the gospel. Search your life. You remember a time that you believed, but is all your confidence based on some past event of believing? If all of your faith, all of your confidence is based on something you believed in the past, be very, very careful. What's a What's better for your confidence, what's better for your assurance is to look down and see where you're currently standing. Are you currently standing on and in the gospel? That which you believed in the past, you're still following, standing in, still believing, holding fast to, not letting go of. But then look what he says, verse two. By which you are being saved. Here's the reality of being a Christian you are both saved and then not saved yet. Does that make sense? Let me explain. If you believe in Jesus, the Bible says you will be saved. But twice here in the book of Corinthians, both in chapter one and here, Paul gives this perspective of currently being saved. What does he mean by that? It means your life still has to play out and prove that you genuinely believe what you believe. Interesting that Sam last week preached in James chapter two concerning vain faith and a dead faith that your life must go through the crucible and the test to show that what you received in the past genuinely is real. And guess what? You have your whole life to prove that. Everything that comes your way that would try to chip away at what you believed and take away from you, you have your whole life to prove you genuinely believe it. You are currently being saved. You are saved based off the promise of God, but your life has to still play out. And then you will realize and experience that salvation the day you go home to meet him, as First Peter says. Receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Gauging your heart Reminding yourself of the gospel, it's very important because it's not good enough to just look back in the past at a moment of time. You must, hey, did I receive it? Yes. Do I still believe it? Yes. Am I going to continue to believe it? Yes. By the grace and help of God, I will continue to stand in this and never let go of it. 
Now look what he says here. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. That's the scary part. I don't want to believe in vain. I don't want my faith to be in vain. Vain meaning this, of no effect. No purpose. Accomplishes nothing. A faith that does not save. And before you get too scared, we should be uh, uh, appropriately nervous by that because the appropriate response is, I don't want to have a vain faith. I don't want my faith to be vain. So what I must do, the if there, is if I hold fast to the gospel. Now, I could tell you and explain to you what holding fast means, but let's take the next four minutes to visually see what holding fast looks like.
it's over now. Good to see you again. You, my stomach's still a little turned. You know, when I die, I want the relief of being at the top of the mountain. He lets go at any point. It's terrifying. It's certain death. And as scary and as real and visceral as that is, Letting go of the gospel is far more detrimental than the however many seconds of free fall he would have and then hitting the ground an instant death. Holding fast to the gospel means eternal relief, joy, pleasure, life. Letting go of the gospel means eternal falling, separation, death. This is why we remind ourselves of the gospel because of the constant potential of believing in vain. Your life, you must pass the test. It will be over. That, that You can imagine what it's like to like your muscles be shaking when you're coming across some of whatever problem is in the journey of life that you just want to let go of. You just want to let go so bad, you must hold on to it. Get past it. The relief and the eternity is coming. This life is passing away and we are not living for this one. Hold fast to the gospel church. In your own personal life, you hold fast for the rest of your life. How can I ensure, next question, how can I ensure my faith won't be in vain? Well, one of the things you can do is not actually do the journey in the free solo uh, fashion. That's called free solo. Very interesting. A lot of us are holding fast to the gospel in a free solo type of way, meaning that we're like, we can do this thing on our own, don't need the church. I don't know about you. I'd rather have a rope tied to me so that when I do fall, something catches me. So climb the summit with your community, with your church, with brothers and sisters who can catch you when you fall and guarantee you don't fall away. That's just a little side point. How can I ensure my faith won't be in vain? Look at verse three. Paul says, for I delivered you of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and, he ra- and, and was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. How can I ensure my faith won't be in vain by holding fast, not just to the gospel, but to the complete gospel, all of it, every part that matters, every part that needs to be part of my faith of what I'm holding fast to. I can't like, I can't at any moment, if I get three points of contact, let go of my legs, just my leg. Yeah. My two hands might still fall. I need, I need all the points of contact for it to be the actual gospel. So, so watch this on the screen. We must, according to what Paul says, we must hold fast to the death of Christ. We must hold fast to the atonement of Christ. He says here, I delivered to you a first importance, priority. Christ died for our sins. Do you believe that Jesus actually as a human being with a physical body died on the cross? 
You might say, yes, but let me ask you this. Do you believe why he died on the cross? Was it to atone for your sins? If you say, yes, yes, I need atonement. I need, I need my sins to be taken care of through a sacrifice. That was Jesus. I believe that, but it's not complete. We hold fast to the death of Christ. We hold fast to the atonement. We hold fast to the tomb of Christ. It was prophesied that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb, and indeed he was. Why is this so important? Well, one, it's part of the prophecy, but one, he had to actually die, but then two, you need the stage for the resurrection. If we hold fast to not only the tomb, but the resurrection of Christ, that his physical body was risen from the dead paramount. What we're going to see through the rest of the passage is this is the focus because this is what was under attack then. It's what's under attack now. It is the miracle that needs to be the case in order for our faith to not be in vain and we hold fast to the resurrection of Christ. But there's one other thing here he says two times. What's the, thing he, what's the phrase he says two times in this, this verse, verse three? I want to see if someone, you, you, can, you can shout it out. There's two phrases he says twice in verse three in accordance with the scripture, if you hold fast to the words of Christ. Why is that so important? Why? Because, if, because if this is not your authority, when, when all you have is the hearing of it, if it's not the authority, you won't believe it. Then all of the rest of it falls apart. The complete gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of Christ and his lordship and his authority, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he's the authority. So what he says, I listen to. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now take, if you take any moment to look out in the world, you're gonna find the word gospel said by so-called Christians, but take a look into what the gospel is they're preaching. Is it missing any of the things that are of first importance in accordance with the scriptures? Meaning that as Paul is writing to these Corinthians, he's reminding them that Jesus dying for your sins, being buried and rising from the dead isn't a new thing. It's not like, hey, here's this new fresh thing we're adding to the Jewish scriptures. No, the Old Testament prophesied about it. You can go to Psalm chapter 22 and see the death of Christ described. 500 years even before uh, crucifixion was even invented. Hands and feet being pierced, David talking about. Saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 500 years before the Persians even invented that torturous device, you see it being speaked of. So when Jesus says, Ali, Ali, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The minds of the people should be like, no, this was the case from the beginning. We've been waiting for this. The psalmist also talking about how God will not allow his holy one to see corruption. What is that um, representative of? The Old Testament prophesying about corruption in the grave, Sheol, that God will not abandon his soul to Sheol. Jesus himself said, you take this temple from me, I will raise it up on the third. And he did. And he was risen. We hold fast to the gospel of Christ. For the rest of your life, you hold fast to it. You cling on to it like Alex Honnold did to that cliffside and you never let go. And if you are continuing to stand in it, then you are being saved by it. 
in the moment, if you have the opportunity to know that your last moment's coming, you can die with confidence knowing you held fast to it all of your life. You see the same thing happen in Paul when he knows his death is coming and he speaks to Timothy and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. Now, therefore, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, but not only for me, but also to all those who love his appearing. Next question. Okay, so what is it that makes the gospel worth holding fast to? Many different religions out there. Many different options the enemy would like you to think. You know, truth is relative. You do you. Choose your path. Do your truth. What makes the gospel different? The gospel of Jesus Christ different and worth holding fast to and all others worth rejecting. It is this. It is the resurrection of Christ that makes the difference. It is what makes it worth holding fast to. Okay, verses five through 11. Listen to what Paul says. He gives a description of the complete gospel. The moment he mentions the resurrection, then he spends the whole rest of the chapter talking about it because this is where all things lie. This is where the, this is where the, uh, the crux of the matter was. Verse five, it says he was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the 12, the other disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. In the book of Acts, on the road to Damascus. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Why is it so important for him to pause to now affirm and confirm and assure the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus is actually true? Because what is under attack and still stands under attack today is like, you know what? The culture's like, we're okay with Jesus being a real person. You know, we can't deny that. Historically, he has more evidence to his existence than anything else. You know what? You can have the, the existence of Jesus. You know what? You can even have the crucifixion of Jesus. He was, he was. But you know what we're going to do? Is we're going to make all these History Channel episodes to explain why he didn't actually die or why he didn't actually raise from the dead. We're going to work hard today, as they don't know, through the power and the inspiration of the devil to try to disprove the resurrection. The resurrection matters. It's integral to the gospel. Don't let any, anything convince you otherwise. You have proof and the world has proof against them. They cannot deny, though they do all the time. Look at the proof he gives. He gives two types of proofs. He gives the proof of eyewitnesses and then he gives the proof of its effect and its power on someone's life. This, this is remarkable because even today, the testimony of eyewitnesses is undeniable. You, you do a crime, you go to court, you get on stand. If you have no eyewitnesses or no evidence, it's hard for them to uh, prosecute you, right? They got to build a case. 
But if part of the case they're building against you is multiple eyewitnesses, you stole something, you have one person, at least one person who can get on the stand and say, yeah, I was there. That person's not related to you at all. So right, that, next thing you know, you have two people, two people who can, who can attest to the same thing that they saw you do the same thing. Man, I tell you what, it's gonna be really hard to get out of that. And what about if they brought up three people, all four, five? What if they brought up over 500 different people who saw you do what is being said that you did? It'd be really hard to get out of that one. Here's what we have. We have Jesus rising from the dead and appearing to hundreds of people. And at the time that Paul wrote this, there were still hundreds alive at the time. Could you imagine being like to talk to one of those people, right? Yes, they get to see they get to touch. They get to be with Jesus for days even after he, died. he did not stay dead. And then multiple of the disciples get to see him ascend into heaven, disappear, given the promise that he would come back in the same manner, same way he went, he will come. Remarkable. Overwhelming proof of eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. Do not let this world that will be contradictory and hypocritical try to tell you that this is not the case because every single other person who relies on history, you know what they rely on? Eyewitness testimony. Yet, when it comes to Jesus, there's an overwhelming, crazy amount of evidence more than anything else to his life. Not only that, to his resurrection. There are over 500 different ancient sources that are non-Christian that attest to his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Non-Christian sources. Not to count the thousands of Christian sources that attest to this. Which is the same way we know when we take history class in school, it's the same way we know Homer existed, know these poems existed, know Aristotle existed, Socrates, Socrates, you know? Plato, some of you, maybe got that. Socrates, that's a great guy. (laughs) Jesus' resurrection is real. It really happened. But look at verse 10. Paul then brings it to him. He works through the eyewitness accounts and then he comes to him as the final eyewitness. Paul says this about himself. Last of all, look at his humility. As one untimely born, he appeared also to me And he says, I am the least of the apostles. Unworthy to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. And he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. What are we seeing here? What is the the evidence here? The evidence of Paul, of being someone who is showing and displaying not just an eyewitness testimony of the work of God, but the power and the effect. The type of life that he lived is the only type that can be turned around if the resurrection is true. And you know, only God can make this guy change. And only God was the one who could as he is on the road. Let me, Paul, when he was, as in Philippians 3 says, he was zealous concerning zeal, a persecutor of the church. When it came to being 100% convicted about doing the right thing, he was. He was a good Jew. He was better than them all. And he persecuted the church of God, Christians with zeal, knowing 100% that what he was doing for God. Happy to stand at the, the feet of Stephen who was stoned to death and receive his garments approving, saying, yep, it was good that this guy died. You know what? I like 
fighting for God in this way, I'm gonna continue on the road to destroy the church of God. The very enemy of the church, God meets. Jesus shows up and he meets Paul on the road to Damascus, blinds him with a light. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks, determining whatever uh, translation you're reading. And there he said, who are you? I am Jesus Christ, whom you are persecuting. And there his life has turned around as he realized I'm wrong. I'm going down the wrong road. I've literally been doing the very opposite of what I need to be doing. Jesus is real. What was the difference made in the life of Paul that turned him around? It was the resurrection of Jesus. He knew the gospel, but what he hadn't experienced was the resurrection. He met and saw the risen Lord, talked to him even, and his life was changed. And he became a wonderful apostle. He became the apostle to the Gentiles, carrying the mystery of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And now because primarily... Not primarily, but primarily because of the works of all the apostles, apostles, especially Paul, you and I are able to believe today because it's reached us. The effect of someone zealously persecuting the church of God to join them. Do you know what it did in the community? What happened to Saul? What happened to Paul? What changed him? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now let me bring it home to you. Still today, that same power is at work. That resurrecting power is at work in people's lives, causing them to repent, changing the path, being the difference in your life. If I was going this way and I could never stop doing this, though I knew it was wrong, and then Jesus showed up in my life, and now I was able to repent, place my faith in it. My life is different. I've been changed. I was, but then God, and now I'm, and God has changed you. And the evidence of the effect and the power it's happening today as we carry the evidence of the eyewitnesses along with us to compel people to be reconciled to God. This is what you're looking for. What makes the gospel worth holding fast to? It is the resurrection. Let me read you a quote by Tim Keller. Maybe you've heard him come up recently. He's just on our minds as he recently passed away. Someone who fought and kept the faith till the end. But Sam and I We're talking about how when it comes to Tim Keller, he just has so many good quotes. Look at what he says. He says, the issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. The issue in which everything hangs is not if you like his teaching, that's not what matters. If you like it or dislike it, that's relative. But did he rise from the dead? Because if he rose from the dead, then his teachings are true and we must listen to them. Which brings us to our final question. What if there is no resurrection? Right, this is hypothetical. Paul is gonna go down this hypothetical road and he's gonna answer, well, how important is the resurrection? Let me show you by showing you what the implications are if there is no resurrection. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it was I or they. So we preached and you believe. Now he comes to verse 12. He says this. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? This then reveals to us the problem that existed then. 
Paul was obviously hearing that among the Corinthians, there was this belief that, there, that the resurrection of the dead doesn't exist in general terms, right? People believing that the dead do not raise was a belief primarily in the Roman Greek culture, flesh bad, spirit good. You got to get rid of the body. The body's stupid. Basically, you got to shed it. So there's nothing you can do. So you indulge in the body because it's evil. But then if you can just get rid of the body and you just have the mind and the spirit, then, then that's it. And so there's this cultural pressure to deny a general fact that there's no resurrection of the dead. You die and you stay dead. It's not that some of them were saying Jesus Christ didn't raise from the dead, but there's this worldly belief that they were believing without putting any thought to the implications of that belief showing that the peripherals of your life, it matters what you allow the world to press in on you. Pay attention to what you believe. Does it in some way work its way to contradict the very gospel that you say you hold fast to? If it does, it'll chip away. And it could mean that your faith will one day show itself to be in vain as that belief grows and grows and grows. Because think about this, look what Paul says. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, verse 13, then not even Christ has been raised. If it's true that there's no resurrection of the dead, then how can you believe that Christ rose from the dead? And then he takes it even further. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Our loved ones who believed, dead, gone, perished. Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Ooh, you see what Paul's doing? Here's the answer. What if there is no resurrection? Then it means all is in vain. It means everything that we lift our hands to, everything that we rejoice in, all the time we spend working to understand this. He's saying, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, it's all in vain. (sighs) Why this is important that Paul's displaying this is one, he's trying to reason with rational logic, rationale and logic to help them understand that if you accept this worldly belief over here, it will press upon your spiritual belief. These two worlds can't exist. You can't say Christ rose from the dead, then over here believe there is no resurrection dead. I'll tell you which one's gonna win. The worldliness is gonna win over. And if you deny the resurrection of Jesus, then you are not saved. Your faith becomes futile, vain. Do you see what he's saying? Do you see why he's making such a big deal about this? You know, I open up my phone, you get these, uh, these quick little videos. And it was like, as I was studying this, wasn't looking it up. It's just maybe the phone listening, you know, as, as our phones do, they just listen and then they, they uh, basically control our lives through knowing us better than we know ourselves in some ways. Open up my phone and I just get this feed full of, of an, uh, an, a street evangelist and he's reasoning with people as to why the resurrection's actually true. And it's, it's all about these kids, these universities, these college, these kids and, and the big argument that they're making constantly everywhere he goes, it seems, is that show me the medical records of Christ. He didn't raise from the dead. He didn't. They don't argue about all these other points of the gospel, but they know if the Christ is risen from the dead, then I must listen to him. So he didn't rise from the dead. That's the denial. But don't forget, the proof is there. You can't deny the proof. 
So Paul is giving us a hypothetical. Let me just show you what the implications are if there is no resurrection of the dead. Very astute. It shows that Paul is not a blind follower. It shows that even his faith was based on fact that he himself could not deny. He is smart enough and self-aware enough to know that if the resurrection is not true, then everything that they're doing is in vain. Very, very uh, observant, self-aware person. We are not blindly following. Our faith is based off the factual eyewitness testimony of things that were said and the witnesses to what was said and done. And so we believe. Because to not believe would put us in a position of like, well, then what are you gonna do with all the evidence against you? Faith comes back to believing apart from evidence, but thanks be to God that he's left us with ample evidence evidence to supplement our faith. Look at this. If there is no resurrection, all is in vain. What are some of the things that he said would be in vain? He says our faith in vain, what we believe. I preached and so you believe your faith that Peter says is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, vain. What does he say next? Preaching. All this effort here, the hours spent of preachers preparing messages and then putting themselves in a position to, to, to speak it, that's in vain, time wasted. Next, testimonies are in vain. Paul says, we are found to be misrepresenting God. That's what that means. It means he's carrying a message that he believes that God wants. It's the very definition of taking the Lord's name in vain. The, the, the command, do not take the Lord's name in vain, is that. Are you carrying a message that's not his, but you're saying it's his? You're carrying his name with you saying, saying this is my message and God's cool with it. He's got it. That's what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. His testimony, your testimony, our testimonies, everything that we're saying that Jesus is Lord, all of those things he's saying is in vain if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. What else? Not only our testimonies, but our hope. He says, verse 16, if The dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Dying in our sins, standing before a holy God, we will be judged and we will be sent away from his presence for all of eternity. It is the very gospel that has saved us to be still in our sins, the worst possible scenario. And he says this, those who've fallen asleep, those who've died before you, they've perished as well. And he says this, verse 19, if in Christ we have hope, hope being the thing that helps you get through this life and all of the hard times while you wait for what you know you're going to receive. If Jesus has not been raised, then what you think you're going to receive isn't really going to happen. How do you know with confidence, not wishful expectations, but confidence that when you die, you will see Jesus face to face and your sins will be forgiven and you will be with him for all of eternity is because the resurrection of the dead solidifies all of that. Because Christ rose from the dead, you have hope. But if he hasn't, your hope is in vain. All the things that are getting you through all the hard times because you know it's gonna get better, it's gonna get better, it's in vain. It's not the case if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. And then this, it means Christians are most to be pitied in this world. Again, Paul's showing his self-awareness. He knows, like literally, we are laying down our life for our enemies. We are literally spending our whole life being counted as lamb, sheeps for the slaughter, 
going out, spending our time, energy, efforts, and money to get this message into the world, and we suffer constantly, we don't fight back, we don't revile, we lay our lives down for the very people who hated us like Jesus did, and we give up our whole life for the sake of this message. Paul rightly understands if this resurrection is not true, then out of all the people on planet earth who should be pitied, it's Christians. Now, church, is that where I end and we just go home? Is that where we should end and just go home? Look at verse 20 with me. But in fact, truth, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the first guy it happened, so that means you can count on it. It's gonna happen to everyone else who dies like him. For him, they will be raised like him. He's the evidence of that. Just as he was risen, you will be risen. You will be raised from the dead. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep died. For as by one man, Adam, came death by a man, Jesus Christ has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Church, the reality is your faith is not in vain. Our preaching isn't in in vain. Our testimonies aren't in vain. Our hope isn't in vain. Our sins have been forgiven. We have something awaiting us. Those who've gone before you, your loved ones who believed in Jesus, they're with him now. Your hope is real. He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead. It really happened. And it will happen to you when you meet your final day and he glorifies your body and he gives you a brand new physical body. This isn't allegory. This isn't symbolic. This is real. And being saved, having that salvation and that hope is dependent upon you believing that. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when you hear Matthew, Mark, Luke, John testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, do you hear it and believe? And are you going to hold fast to it? Are you holding fast to it now, standing in it? And will you hold fast to it till the day you die? That's what matters. Make the confidence of your salvation not on something that happened in the past, but including that past belief with everything that you believe now and everything that you're going to hold fast to for the rest of your life. The resurrection matters. Christian, Hold fast to the resurrection of Christ and you live this life with hope knowing that he will give life to your mortal bodies just as he gave it to the body that died in his son, Jesus Christ. We are not most to be pitied. We are most to be envied and most to be want to join to. We should be the lights to the world that are telling people this is the way Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Come on in and experience everything that you ever thought you could find in the world, which you can't, you will find here in Jesus Christ. And you will be with him one day and at his right hand will be pleasures forevermore. And in his presence will be the fullness of joy. Only through Jesus Christ. And we stand on this message and we never let go of it, even to the point of death in our own life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us. 
your son indeed has been risen from the dead, there should be no doubt. There should be no worry. Not only is the message, the message alone, your word and your authority alone, the fact that Jesus said it, the fact that you've declared it is enough. But you abound our history, which somehow the enemy's unable to get away, unable to get rid of because you're protecting it. A history that is rich with overwhelming proof that we cannot deny. Evidence that we must do something with. I'll tell you what we're going to do with it. God, we're going to believe it. We're going to hold fast to it and never let go of it. But we need you to work that power in our heart that no matter comes our way in our family, in our work, in our, in our world, no matter the suffering that comes, we pass the test and we hold fast to the complete gospel of Jesus. Thank you for your son. We pray all this in his name. Amen.